the, the pop filter, windscreen, I, whatever you call it. I think we've I think we've had this fight before. I call it a pop filter. Ugh. You call it a windscreen, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. You know, though, for the purposes of this, yours is correct because the word pop. But what do you uh, think of when you think of the word pop? Like Katy Perry? I think of like pop music. Okay, pop music. Okay, let's let's try to get there from there. Katy Perry is very popular. Popular. Okay, she's popular. She's also very another word. With, another word with P. Okay, pretty. Pretty makes young men feel. All right. No. No, 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 just no, 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 follow no, me on no, this, no. follow me on this, it's no, no, the no, opening no. bit, it's the opening bit, just no, 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 follow no, no, me no. on this, just follow me on this, follow me on this. Makes a young men feel, uh, am I going with a P word here? No, it doesn't have to be a P word. I'm gonna say engorged, because I hate you. That's a really good word, though, for it. Yes, and, you know, like, there's only one real way to take care of something when you're engorged, and that's to, you know... Just take care of yourself. And you said to me last week, we cannot find a better handjob scene than The Master. And I went to the internet, my friend, and I Googled best cinematic handjobs. And I looked and I searched. And mostly it was European stuff that I'd never heard of that's supposed to be, like, technically cinematic. You see a lot of people's penises in European movies that don't quite hit the mark of, like, like mainstream European you can find a lot of a lot of dick stuff in European film if you want. Yes. So I have come to you with four more cinematic hand jobs that I think should count. Oh boy. Last week we did talk about one. So this is there's technically three new ones, but there is one other. We did talk about Animal House, and there it is a twofer. There's two times it happens in the movie. Mm. I think that's a pretty solid one to start off with. Following up with it. We have what I would say is maybe the most uncomfortable handjob scene, which is during the movie Forrest Gump, where Jenny first beats off Forrest Gump. It's it's pretty uncomfortable to watch by today's standards. It was uncomfortable in 1994. You know what? I'm going to say I'm going to put that at the bottom. Uh, that is a terrible scene. Whoever wrote that, it should be we should need to find a gulag for them to work in for the rest of their life. Hey, Zemeckis, you're still in the gulag. <laughs> director's gulag after witches. I actually like director's gulag better than director jail. I think that's going to be our thing. It's where they can still work, but it's not fulfilling work. So we're, you know, yeah, you know what? That is better. Yeah, it is. That is, is almost a Twilight Zone-like punishment. Yeah, you know what? The first entry into the director's gulag is Robert Zemeckis. I like Zemeckis. I mean, but what has he done recently? It's true. I was going to say, I like Zemeckis. And be like, yeah, Used like Cars said, is like a great you, movie. Like you said, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean they're canceled. Like, like, director's jail is for other people. Like, you know, redacted. Like, that's where director's jail is. It's like, no, you just shouldn't get to make movies. Yeah, like, we're taking like the, the camera from your hands, fucker. Like, the gulag is like, no, you still contribute things to the state. And the state is film, essentially. And it's like, yeah, it'll turn a small profit, probably, because of it. But, like, it's nothing fulfilling to you. Like, Robert Zemeckis didn't enjoy making The Witches. I guarantee it. There's no way that joyless suck fest could possibly. I don't don't know, because he like he like I mean he put a lot of the Zemeckis spin on it. Who's to say? I don't even know. Computer graphics and stuff. I don't know. He's a he's a really weird filmmaker in the back half of his career. Yeah. Number two, and I have not seen this movie. I just know it exists. Call me by your name. Eh, Disagree, but okay. And number one, and you know you and I are both fucking morons or one of us was too high and the other was just too sleepy from their weeks you and i are idiots what's the other one boogie nights oh yeah hey (laughs) remember when he calls him donkey dick we didn't even talk about it yeah well 
you know. Also, before we go into it too, you say two nice things about There Will Be Blood. We barely did anything on that movie. I love his mustache. Okay, good. Good, good mustache. I also think the movie is, you know, it's like really well put together, really well written. End of your movie. Now you want more. Now you want more. Need all your insides Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from a very lonely house filled with love in Japan to, well, I mean, it's the name of the movie, Sunset Boulevard. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, buddy? Annoyed with my apartment management. That's fair. Before we get to these two movies from before 1950, we're going to have to potentially stay in the present and talk about the best thing and the most captivating thing we saw this week. So what was your best and most captivating thing? Ben, I'm going to flip it and reverse it and ask you, what was your most captivating thing while I silently look for mine? Do you want Spielberg or do you want Spielberg? Okay, well, what era is the first Spielberg? There, One is like 90s, I think one is 2000s. Give me that 2000s. Saw Minority Report, just finished it about five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I think Minority Report is wildly in the conversation for maybe not only like a top four Spielberg movie, but I think it might be in the conversation for a top four Cruise movie. They are the dream team in that movie, dude. There is no stopping that movie from once it starts to once it ends. Dude, Colin Farrell is amazing in the 15 minutes he's in. Max von Sydow might give a top four performance in it as well. Also, Samantha Morton is like crazy ahead of her time good in that movie. Samantha Morton good oh dude everyone is good in that movie you get like a peter stormare cameo that is on like i'll say it again i think it's a top four peter stormare performance like in terms of his peter stormare i come in for five minutes and then bang out that's a movie i think falls in the camp of tbs afternoon movies where it was just like 100 i saw the movie like a a dozen like a handful of times i'd say probably like a dozen times just Mm -hmm. because it was on tbs you know what I mean? And my mom was oh, just yeah. like, oh, we'll just watch Minority Report. <laughs> like, you can't go wrong. It's Minority Report. Oh, absolutely. Out of respect right now, I'm actually wearing a blindfold, like, to do this. <laughs> oh, so, oh, I love that you remembered what their names are. Oh. <laughs> Who's the best, like, secondary person who shows up in that movie? Because for me, it's Neil McDonough. Like, I, yeah, I think I love Colin Farrell showing up as, like, one of the bad guys for, like, fucking four seconds he just gets fucking iced by van saito like yeah yeah that's great it has one of my favorite tom cruise yelling moments and i waited for it today and i was like oh i wish it was not like nine in the morning so i could turn this up he goes i had to get to you with sean and he goes don't you ever say his name my favorite thing about that movie is that it's based off of philip k dick short story i think i don't think it's a novella maybe like a like like 80 pages called and this is my favorite thing is because every every movie that's based off of a philip k dick novel the 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 story has like 17 words in it or something like something stupid and it's like we can remember it for you wholesale i believe is the name of the short story i believe we can remember we can remember it for you wholesale 
No, I think that's no, that's Total Recall. Is that Total Recall? That's Total okay. Recall. I think this is called Minority Report. That would make sense. If um, I didn't have this blindfold on, I would be looking it up. I'm looking that up currently. I don't know how to spell Minority Report. M I N O R I T Y. Minority. Oh, it was called The Minority Report. So they just got ah, There you go. Which is smart. Do I have a Minority Report? Like <laughs> the scene where they do the surgery on him is. Arguably one of the best, most uncomfortable scenes in a movie. Oh, yeah. When he, like, like scoops out one of his own eyeballs. Or he scoops out that guy's eyeballs. Like, Ugh. That still rattles in my brain. I hate it. Yeah. it's. I saw that on a big screen. Your other choice was uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, well, Saving Private Ryan's good. You can see the guy get his face shot off. Oh, dude, not only that. Like, just the opening 30 minutes of that movie. You know what? No. It'll, it'll be for another time. I... I had a very long argument with my dad, who is a person who does not pop up in this show very often. His whole thing was like, the opening just like writes a check that the movie cannot cash. And I completely disagree. I think oh, the opening oh, is he's perfect. That because the opening is so good, the rest of the movie cannot recover? Yeah. He's wrong on every account. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first no. 30 minutes sets you up to know who you're going to be with on this journey. Exactly. Like, and then the rest of the movie is them going to find it. And I'm sorry to say it, the reveal of who they find yeah. is incredible. He's only ever, and the weird thing is, this dude's done it again. Like, I, I didn't even think about how good Interstellar is because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. I, I don't know. I, I love that movie. No, he's wrong. Saving Private Ryan yeah. gets better in the second half. It gets better as the movie goes on. Because yeah. you keep getting Fuck more you, Dad. I'm right again. You didn't need confirmation from me. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I what am, about you? That's what I say. So, okay, I'm going to go with, once again, it is Pride Month, which means I'm watching that gay shit 25-8. I just got out of class. My classes ended, so I'm having more time to watch movies and i watched a little movie that i uh, that was put out by our friends or well at least my friends at agfa the american genre film archive which means you know it, it's, it's you, you know it, it's got to be something super weird it's not it's actually a kitchen sink drama from england from the 60s called the leather boys it is about uh, a man who gets married to the actress name is i think it's rita Tungrenin? She's in The Taste of Honey, which is a British uh, kitchen sink film. That's her most famous performance. So you have Dot, who is played by Rita Tushingram, Colin Campbell, who plays Reggie, and then you have this other guy named Dudley Sutton, who's uh, played by Pete. The movie kind of does not hint that Pete is gay. It's pretty obvious that he's gay from like the first moment he's on screen. But it is 60s London. So it's the swing in London. Big into the, like, biker culture of London at that time. It shows, like, a very famous cafe in that era called Ace Cafe, which was, like, a motorcyclist cafe. At that time period, it's directed by a guy named Sidney J. Fury, Canadian-British director. Mm-hmm. Who is, it's notable, he directed a bunch of movies. But most importantly, he directed The Boys in Company C and The Entity, both of which are highly lauded by Martin Scorsese. And The Boys in Company C is what inspired Full Metal Jacket. Anyway, hmm. it's a good little film. It was written by uh, Gillian Freeman off of her book, written under a pseudonym. And it was essentially suggested that she write a book about Romeo in Romeo in the South London suburbs. It 
very clearly violates like the Hollywood production code, but is also simultaneously very chase about its subject matter. You, I buying it. I thought like I don't know, like that was more advert about <laughs> the homosexuality, but it's mostly just like sub sub subtext. The movie's good. I don't think I think the book it's probably based off of is more daring, from what I've I've read. There's a lot more of a through line. I guess it's a little bit darker. But yeah, I don't know. It was a very interesting movie. It's a beautiful 4K restoration put out by Agfa with the help from Shout Factory. And it's just, I don't know, it's just neat. It's got a little uh, British short on the ba- in the back, uh, 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 paired with it, which is like a documentary about gay uh, queerness in England at the time. And yeah, no, no, no. It's just it was just like a really interesting look at how homosexuality was treated in 1964, which let me tell you, not very well. Yeah, that is a pretty big <laughs> black eye on their record. I think what's important about it is that this is a movie. This is a movie that came out in England, 1964. Homosexuality was illegal, like go to jail illegal until 1968. And if people want to watch a really good movie about how men would be blackmailed by other people because of the, because of the legality of it. They can watch a little movie by Basil Durden called Victim, starring Dirk Borgenine, who's a fantastic actor. And it's also the you know time of the year to recognize your queer history, fellas, and ladies, and uh, ladies, people in between, you know? Yeah. I believe, as Chuatel Ejiofor says in the movie Kinky Boots, ladies, gentlemen, and for those of you to yet make up your minds. <laughs> Maybe not quite how I would put it, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I, I think he has more of a right as that character in that movie. I think so. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I don't think I ever saw Kinky Boots. Well, that, I guess, takes us to the Leather Boys, huh? Yeah. Even the name, you know, you're just like, well, I know what I'm getting here. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the book was The Leather Boys. Um, oh, yeah, great. even change it. Great cover. I think the original cover, or one of the original covers, had Mike Lee on the cover, so. Send me a, send me a picture of the cover. I, we'll use it yeah. on the on the Instagram, which you are going to follow once we're off the show. Yes, yes. Let me look it up. All right. Well, while you're doing that, I'll take them over here to movies before 1951. And the first movie is the concept of arrested development mixed with the duty to one's family is examined in this beautiful drama by legendary filmmaker Yoshihiro Ozu. Easy to see why Ozu is one of the main influences of Japanese filmmaking. A simple tale is given so much with a beautiful vision behind it. Starring Shiasu Ryo, Setsuko Ohara, Yumaji Tutsukoda, and Haruko Simogura. This is, of course, Yoshihiro Ozu's 1949 film, Late spring.
なんか黒いもの。服部さんどう思うどうって服部だよ言い方じゃないのうんああいうのはテイストしてどうなんだろういいでしょきっといいかい優しいしそうかそうだね私好きよ相方おばさんがね、どうだろうって言うんだけど何がお前はさ服部に<笑>なんだいおっちゃんおっちゃんどうしたんだい<笑>だって服部さん奥さんおもらいになるのよもう当から決まってんのよとても可愛くて綺麗な方第一で私を三年したのそうかいずれお父さんにもお話あるわよその方よく知ってんのよ私そうかお祝い何あげようかと思ってんだけどうんそうかい結婚すんのかい服部ねえ何がいいうん決まってたのかいお嫁さんええI don't know what clip to put here because. Yeah,、uh, fair enough. I, 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 it's just a bunch of people talking in rooms. <laughs> like, you could just put like, music, I guess. You know what? We're just going to type late spring in and then we're going to go to videos. And whatever the first video that comes up is, <laughs> may be it. It's just, like a, it's just like a criterion three reasons.、Uh, well, let's, let's talk about this movie. This. I, at first, I was like, oh, crap in a hat. This isn't the kind of Japanese movie I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Were you expecting samurais? And, and, and... No, I, I think I kind of knew what this was going to be from like, the cover of it. I was、mm-hmm. like, hmm, interesting. Like, what, are we, what are we doing here? It's, you know, it's Ozu. I, you haven't seen any Ozu before this, have you? I believe I have not. No. I don't know if this is a good way to start a conversation, but after watching this, would you go see more Yoshihiro Ozu films? Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, even though I didn't watch the movie this week. I think what I'm going to pair it with, I'm going to now kind of be obligated to go see. Not to spoil anything, what you're going to pair it with. No. What I should pair it with. Yeah, what you should maybe pair it with. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I think I might know what you're going to pair it with. Oh, yeah, I, you know. Oh, also the answer, the answer of what I'm, going to,、uh, what I'm going to use for the scene. I'm going to use any damn thing I want because it's all free on YouTube. <laughs> Bless you get in line as well, Sunset Boulevard. You better be free on here too. <laughs> Bless her for p u t the whole thing up there. I, I know that for a while, like, Dawn of the Dead had a 4K copy that was just like, floating around YouTube. <laughs> And I was like, okay, go off, I guess. So, I think what's most important is late spring, I think, is the start of the late era of Ozu. Oh, so he's older at this point. He's a little bit older. It's towards the 
not the I'd say towards the back half of his career. His last movie is in '62. His first movie was in nineteen twenty seven. So I think this is towards the last. Oh yeah, uh, no, he bit is. Of his right. career. And I think this is this starts his cycle of late spring, early summer, the end of summer, late autumn, and early spring. And these are all movies that are like very oriented on family drama. I mean, that's kind of what Ozu does. But most importantly, they're about like generational conflict and like the post-war syndrome. What's interesting about this movie is there's no direct reference because he couldn't make direct reference to a lot of stuff. It was heavily censored by the occupied Americans at the time. Yet he uses the camera to directly address the occupation in ways that are pretty subversive for the time period. He uses his camera to directly address the occupation at the time. Specifically in the scene where where Hattori and Noriku are riding bikes towards the beach, you see a Coca-Cola sign that's in English. You also see a sign that tells you how much the bridge can take, like the weight, the limit of the bridge, which are both in English, which wouldn't make sense for the two people riding bikes because they speak Japanese, they don't speak English, but it's very obvious that that is because there is an army presence who does speak English. And... Oh. Yeah, that's one of the many ways that he... Oh, interesting. Uses... I mean, I knew I knew they were referencing it because they will talk about stuff, but they will like kind of skitter around what they're mm-hmm. talking about because you know they're talking... Because I was looking at the time, I was like, oh, this is post-World War II. Okay, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, like, it's really well done because you know that all of them were involved in World War II. All of them had to have been alive while it was going on. In the original script, Noriko worked as like a Japanese Navy job building ships and stuff like that but the americans uh, the occupation because they had to prove everything they forced ozu to censor that so i think they make just some like veiled reference that she had a job during the war there's all sorts of stuff that they tried to censor that doesn't make i mean it makes sense but like it's kind of lame <laughs> but yeah it, it's i think this movie's really like a really good look at where Japan was at the time Um, because it's kind of in this like obviously occupied state and the occupiers are trying to strip Japan of like its Japanese identity and yet people on the island are using art as a way to carry out tradition as a way to show the beauty in Japan as a way to kind of like keep their Japanese-ness essentially. So you believe this is a movie about kind of almost a rebellion to a certain extent? It was definitely made in rebellion. It was definitely, I think Ozu definitely was subversive towards the censorship that he was facing. And I definitely think the movie, which is about these younger people who who kind of buck tradition, doing what is quote-unquote right by their family in order to carry out tradition, is a very interesting... Well, that's what I wrote. I wrote, I think it's the concept of arrested development mixed with the duty to one's family. Because say what you will, I think, I think Noriko, like, like, I think Noriko, who's played by Setsuko Hara, who's really good in this, like, she, like, you look at her and you're like, God, I hope you were a star in Japan, like, for the next, like, 20 years. Oh, yeah, she was. (laughs) Good Yeah, you can tell, like, you can tell she has, like, that indefinable, when she smiles, like, he shoots her from the side because he understands, like, you are devastatingly cute. 
I'll tell you this. <laughs> that 1920s model, Setsuko Hara, well, let me tell you. Woo! All right. I'm, I'm, we're, he's coming back in. She, I think, realistically, I think it is part like she, I mean, are we also kind of supposed to maybe believe like Setsuko Hara is not down to marry a dude, too? I, I think you're supposed to think that she's just, she doesn't really, she's independent. Okay, uh, fair. Okay, I'll give her the joke like, treatment. There's a moment where her her father asks, like, oh, did you, like, share a bike on your bike ride? And she's like, no, I, I borrowed one. And it's it's very clear that it's like, yeah, she rides her own bike. Like, she does her own stuff. Like, she yeah. chooses to help her father because that's what she wants to do. Yeah. And then at the end, she chooses to marry because she doesn't she is essentially being selfless and like giving away herself for marriage in order to continue the family line essentially is it a bummer ending to you very big bummer ending. okay i was wondering if you found it to be a bummer as well but it's like one of those things where it's like but like the father sacrifices and the daughter like noriku sacrifices and they like all sacrifice he sacrifices having his daughter around, having someone to, like, cut up his orange, like, having someone home at all times. But, like, so they're he, sacrificing so he, ease of he, life for, you know, these traditions. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I think that ending is, like, a. it made me cry the first time I watched it. Oh, this is just him a... alone in, the, in his apartment, like, eating a fucking orange, like, cutting up an orange for himself. Yeah, that I just is like realized huh? like, ugh, I might have done the wrong thing, or maybe I've done the right thing, but it's you know, it's still sad. It is kind of amazing, like how this would, like, if you could take, you could take this same story, and you could take this and put it in almost any language, I think, and you could realistically redo it, same exact movie, because yeah. almost every country in the world has been under occupation at one time or another. And most countries believe that you go out and you get married. Yeah, you really could. It's kind of amazing to think about. You could do this in France. You could do this in America when we were under British rule. Like, you could do it almost anywhere. Hey, guess what? There's a movie by Claire Denis who we've talked about on this podcast. Yep. Old one-for-one Claire Denis. (laughs) Starring uh, Manny Diop, who we've also talked about, because she did the film Atlantix. And it's called 35 Shots of Rum. And it is a direct remake of this movie. Get the fuck out of here. Okay, now I want to watch 35 Shots of Rum. It's like a movie. <laughs> here, I'm going to forget about that, and we're going to watch 35 Shots of Rum, and I'm going to come to you and be like, hey, you know, motherfucker, he ripped off Late Spring. You know that, right? We all see this. <laughs> she ripped off Late Spring. <laughs> like, yeah, she said openly. it was. She just wanted to remake Late Spring. It's one of her favorite Claire, movies. Me, I want you to answer for your crimes about ripping off Late Spring. And she goes, I've admitted to it. And I go, have you? Have you? Maybe you got in front of it, but have you admitted to it? No, I would I would probably not attack Claire Denis. I'd be like, you made trouble every day. That must have been fun. And she'd be like, please get away from me. Yeah, I probably wouldn't bring her up on charges for it. She's she's made enough good stuff. Not high life. That movie can go fuck itself, but <laughs> she did make trouble every day. What was the other one we did? Oh boy. Did we do a third Claire Denis movie? I thought we did. Because it's weird, because, like, thus far, only Claire Denis movies have shown up on top ten lists. That is true. And they're both your top ten lists. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, because we did, it was, Trouble Every Day was on, I talked about Boo Travelar. Is that what it is? Yeah, I talked about it, because I think it was, like, one of the best things I saw this week. 
even though I'm not going to bring Claire Denis up on criminal charges for ripping this movie off for 35 shots of rum, and I'm sure if it is a direct remake, it probably has some of the very similar scenes. Tyler, tell me, what is like the scene for you that really solidifies kind of your argument that this is a movie about doing what is harder for the sake of traditions? Like, what is the scene that really solidifies that for you? I think there's, there's a scene right when she's getting married and um, she's in like her ceremonial Komodo and it's mm. all intricate and it's beautiful and it looks great. And she just kind of like looks at her father and like they like, you know, they have like a moment where they like talk about her getting married, but they like, there's clearly like a thing like there's pressure for the marriage i also think there's just so many moments where it's just like these people are talking but there's like so much anxiety or pressure underneath the surface that you can just tell and the way that ozu like shoots things is so interesting and allows the actors to kind of play their emotions with a lot of depth but upon thinking about it i have to actually go with their kyoto visit they go to visit her mother's grave in Kyoto and there's just like so much history to the line. Uh, that's the order of human life and history. And it's just like, it's the moment where I think their selfishness kind of bleeds away and they kind of have this like, Oh, I have to do this for like family. Like I, you know, it's like a, it's like a big family thing to move along with marriage. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, so heartbreaking and i i think it's just like one of those things where this this movie spends a lot of time like shooting like nothing and kind of like these like beautiful landscape shots or like shots of like the tops of houses or trees and just kind of has these like empty frames that kind of depict japan as like picturesque and ideal as as if it's someone reflecting on a time or as if it's someone kind of like this like serene look at calming inside and then towards the end of the movie like towards the back half of the movie like those shots like disappear as if that sereneness after that calmness has like dissipated from the person i think that's like really interesting i don't know there's just a lot i could i could really dig into about this movie because it's fucking good Not to be blunt, <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> it's a very watchable movie, despite like kind of how much time has passed between now and this movie, because this is a very simply a movie about the human experience. And mm -hmm. like everyone in some way or another has gone through this, like to say what you will. My parents kind of went through this when I got married, like. They like say what you will. This movie is about getting married to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a little different in this capacity because she's a lot older than what the typical time frame references. They said that she was 27. I like realized like, oh, the first time I watched this movie, was like, I was like 24 and I didn't get like the age thing. And now that I'm like older than she is, I'm like, oh, man, that's like a bummer, dude. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, that's that sucks, man. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I also want to talk about, I think Ozu's editing and shooting style is can be hard for people who've never seen an Ozu film. And I think the first time people see an Ozu film, they're kind of taken aback by just how radically different the the pacing and like like camera film feels. There's hardly any motion. 
he shoots super low to the ground, which can be disorienting. I noticed, I noticed that. But and also, he, he's doing a lot for a film of this time, too. Yeah. No, no. Like, like I think I think he's incredibly influential. The bicycle uh, scene alone. Yeah. Like, the bicycle scene alone feels like it's actually moving. It doesn't feel like you're just watching people go by. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredible how he does that. I really love the low shots because there's, like, a photo, I think, of the camera operator on Ozu film, like literally lying down sideways to line up a shot because the camera is like, they literally took it off the tripod and just put the camera on the ground on like a box (laughs) to shoot a scene, which I think is very funny. And the other thing I think is interesting is he totally is like one of the few people at this time period that just like disregards the 360 rule or the 180 rule and just puts the camera like wherever he feels like it. And so when you watch a conversation that has like three people, it can be super disorienting because he doesn't ever do like POV. Like it's never like you're look, you're someone looking at someone talking to you. You're like a camera and someone is talking to you. It's very strange. Like the first time you watch it, his movies, I think are kind of like weirdly freeing. Once you get into the rhythm, you're just like, Oh yeah, this shit fucking whips. Like you're just like in the movie and the movie's pacing is always like so, so good. It's got this interesting way of kind of just like guiding you gently through. You almost feel like you're going at the pace of them walking in Kyoto. Like, yeah, you kind of don't want the movie to end. And at the same time, you feel like you've lived in it long enough to have it be like kind of just like you don't feel like you've overstayed, I guess, is yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah, I love Ozu, their relationship Ozu... is amazing, by the way. I don't oh, know how so he good. got them. I don't know how he got them to seem like a father and daughter who have been together for 24 years, but like he managed to do that in a very interesting way. The guy who plays the father is remarkable. Like he's so good. There isn't really a bad performance in it, but those two, those two just stand head and shoulders above it. What was his name? Uh, Chitsu Ryu. Chitsu Ryu. He's really good. He lived until 1993. Wow. My man looked 800 years old in this movie. (laughs) He was only in his forties. That guy looked old. Ah, it's a little bit of makeup, probably. God damn. It's so hard to just, like, capture, like, that natural chemistry, but I don't know how he does it, too. And I think it's also because there is that, like, I don't know, he builds, like... also. Actually, you know the scene we're going to use is where he sits down with her after dinner and he thinks, like, oh, he's now proposed to her, they're going to go for it, and, like, she has no idea what's coming. Like, I think there's a great moment where he says, did he talk to you? And she goes, about what? And you're just like, oh, she has no fucking idea. Like. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Gonna that, that was actually the words I heard in my head was you going, uh-oh. Like, <laughs> oh, someone's in for a conversation. Uh, I'm glad it was me saying uh-oh. Whoopsie. Whoopsies. The story is pretty simple. I think we should, it's a basic setup. It's about a, it's a it's a about a, a, a father and a, a daughter. Father wants the daughter to get married to carry on the family lineage, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty simple. Daughter does not want to get married. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a simple setup, but yet it's so the dynamic of everybody is so layered and interesting. And it also feels like this movie could be really cheaply made because there's like what like three outdoor sets that you go to, like the beach. There's Kyoto. There's the no play. There's a couple others, but like pretty much it entirely takes place inside a house. Yeah, you're not wrong. They never really, really venture 
outside of it for the most part. Like you have a couple scenes like at the beach, but yeah, it's mostly self-contained. This must have cost. This must have cost nothing to shoot. Uh, at the time period, probably not. Probably one of the reasons why they were able to sneak it by sensors is because it costs so little. That no play stuff, by the way, whew, love to see it. Love that, to see it. No that what play stuff? No. H performance. It's a type of play in Japan. Oh, oh, you mean like the kind of like play? it looks like they where they wear the masks and it's like very yeah. like yeah okay I did yeah, not know that's going, what that was Hah! called. And like hitting drums and going, that's great. Noah's fucking badass, dude. Straight up. No words, no, 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 no thoughts, just vibes. No thoughts, just vibes. No thoughts, just vibes. You know, like a Michael Mann movie. That is true. It is. Yeah. Oh, that is a Michael Mann movie, isn't it? We, I think we'll eventually, once, whenever I get off my ass and pick Ani Baba as a movie that we watch, um, we will talk more about No and its lineage. But I just love Japanese theater because it's it's just so many years and layers built on top of one another. Interesting. Well, I guess to conclude, like, what would you, if you had to sell this movie, you know what, yeah, I want to make this, I want to start a new, on episode 111, I want to start a new penultimate question to ask you which is if you had to sit someone down and like pitch them on this movie for like i don't know 30 seconds like an elevator pitch what would you do to get them to go see this movie do you want to watch one of the most influential japanese films of all time uh it's it's only an hour and 40 minutes long and it doesn't even feel like that it's beautiful and after we watch this we can watch another very influential japanese film that is made by the same guy that's a little bit longer, but, you know, it's just as good. You should watch it. It's good. It's good. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was on my cell phone. Did you did you say something to me? Shut up. Late spring rules. Fuck off. <laughs> that's when he struck me with the bottle, Your Honor, and kept screaming, late spring, late spring. Okay. So, yeah, that's actually a pretty fair comparison. Yeah, it's good. That I guess that'll lead me to ask my next question. Hey, Tyler, what would you pair this with? You know, there's many things I would pair this with. 35 Shots Around would be a good pairing. But I think I'm going to pair it with, because I want people to check out Ozu more, Tokyo Story. Oh. Yeah, which if we ever get to Tokyo Story, I will pair that with Make Way for Tomorrow, which is a great American movie. But yeah, Tokyo Story, uh, Whips. Not the movie I, mean, I thought you were going to pick. On, also, the flavor of green tea over rice. Is that uh, him as well? That's him as well. Fuck great movie. Yeah, that's what I think. Floating Weeds, Equinox Flower. I don't know. There's a you... bunch. You're just not even gonna say it, are you? What is, what is the one that, that was that, that you won? Late autumn. Oh, late autumn. Yeah, late autumn's good too. <laughs> it's the same guy, and it's almost the same name. It is almost the same name. Yeah, I it, yeah yeah. And I read the synopsis. I'm like, this is almost the same movie. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm going back and playing the hits, says Ozu, and they're like, he's gonna make that movie again. <laughs> Only this time, it's in color. Oh, is that right? Is it in color? Yeah, his last few movies are in color. Interesting. I think starting with Equinox Flower, his last five films are in color. I don't know. Equinox Flower, I need to watch that. I need to watch Equinox Flower. I feel like I would love it. Okay, so I guess my last question, I almost don't think I even need to ask. What would you give this? Oh, uh, give this one the big old... Five stars. Nice, nice. I give this solid four and a quarter. 
it was going to be a four, but now talking about it, I like a little more. I like the subversion. I like that he was kind of fighting against the people who were occupying his country at the time. I don't know. It worked really, really well. You should set up and start paying attention a little bit, because if you don't, you might find yourself waking up in a pool. <laughs> this is not my beautiful house. This not is that not pool. my beautiful pool. Not that pool. Go get out of here. Get out of here. Let me let me do the thing. Let the days go by. Let the bang bang. <laughs> yeah, that ought to take care of him because I'm a star and nobody leaves a star. And on that note, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. And that, of course, takes us to the year 1950, where Billy Wilder combines the idea of old Hollywood with the terrors of being forgotten to time. Easily one of the most influential films in regards to the narrative structure and ability to complete a loop successfully. Swanson is everything that would be imitated for years to come when it comes to the subject of Unhinged. This is, of course, the 1950 film starring William Holden and Glorious Swanson. It is, of course, Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard. I've made up my mind we'll bury him in the garden. Any city laws against that? I wouldn't know. I don't care anyway. I want the coffin to be white, and I want it specially lined with satin. White. Or deep pink. Maybe red. Bright, flaming red. Let's make it gay. How much will it be? I warn you, don't give me a fancy price just because I'm rich. Lady, you got the wrong man. I, I had some trouble with my car, flat tire. I pulled into your garage until I could get a spare. I thought this was an empty house. It is not. Get out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost your friend. And I don't think red is the right color. Wait a minute, haven't I seen you before? I know your face. Get out, or shall I call my servant? You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Uh -huh. I knew there was something wrong. They're dead. They're finished. There was a time in this business when they had the eyes of the whole wide world. But that wasn't good enough for them. Oh, no. They had to have the ears of the world, too. So they opened their big mouths, and out came talk. Talk, talk! That's where the popcorn business comes in. You buy yourself a bag and plug up your ears. Look at them in the front offices. The masterminds! They took the idols and smashed them. The Fairbankses, the Gilberts, the Valentinos. And who have we got now? Some nobodies. Don't blame me. I, I'm not an executive, just a writer. You are writing words, words, more words. Well, you've made a rope of words and strangled this business. <laughs> but there's a microphone right there to catch the last gurgles. And Technicolor to photograph the red swollen tongue. you wake up the monkey. Get out! Sunset Boulevard fucking rules. It whips. It's so good. I think this might be his best movie. Thank you for picking just two five-star movies. Oh, top, yeah, this, was, this was easy for you. Yeah, you yeah. had an easy This is week. a good week. This is yeah. a good week. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good week to beat Tyler. Minus, of course, all the bullshit with his, with his apartment. Bullshit with the apartment and having to yell at people. <laughs> it's so funny. I never raise my voice. Like, I'm, I'm a person that, like, can take a... Like, I'm quick to anger, but, like, I will take a lot of yeah. nonsense. You're not, even, you're not even quick to anger. It takes a lot to get you to anger. Yeah. 
So for me to be like, hey, buddy, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it takes a lot. Like, I really had to be pushed around. Anyway, not to bring that up again. Sunset Boulevard. Good movie. Oh. Oh, <laughs> hey, you guys yeah. know this? <laughs> hey, you guys know Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> you heard of this? <laughs> you paying attention? Hey, McFly! Hey, hey, McFly! You heard, of, you, you heard of this? You heard of this movie called Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Well, let's talk about this. Well, first of all, we should we should say this, too. As a person who's gone into a Mount Rushmore for us, this is David Lynch's favorite movie. Uh, that makes sense. And yeah. speaking of David Lynch, Justin Thoreau just gave an interview recently that said, even David Lynch didn't know what was going on in Mulholland Drive. That's the point. You're not supposed to know what's going on. No, it's I know. It's just, great. It's all vibes, guys. The this vibes is, are terrible. But you can see why this influenced Lynch. Oh, yeah. 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 You watch this, you watch a Dune. Makes sense. <laughs> I am big. It's the sandworms that got small. She does say that at one point. She does say that. It's very strange that that made it through the censorship. I think, you know? I think that is. I think that is the scene we're going to come in on is when he first meets her. Because goddamn. So this movie is about a guy named Joe Gillis who is a writer in Hollywood and is kind of down on his luck, as is every single character in every single Billy Wilder movie. I've just realized. <laughs> It's, they're not all writers, but they're all someone down on their luck. That's noir, baby. Very true. Hey, boo-boo. <laughs> hey, boo-boo, that's noir. Now I'm going to fill you full of holes. I don't think so, Yogi. I've got the drop on you. I don't know why Yogi and him like would, would kill each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, Yogi. Oh, you actually do a solid, solid little boo-boo impression. <laughs> well, that'll be our first live show. We'll just do noir Yogi Bear. Hey, boo-boo, I heard you were stooping my wife. <laughs> hey, boo-boo, I'm smarter than the average bear. Yogi. Yeah, I don't, know how, I don't know how we pitch that. I go, I have a pitch for a movie called Noir Yogi. And they go, what is that? I'm like, it's Yogi Bear, but it's a noir. And nobody wants to, everyone else in the movie is human, and no one seems to account for the fact that they are animated bears. I also want Justin Timberlake back. Hold on, hold on. Hey, boo-boo, I was walking down the street. Another day, another dollar. Los Angeles, baby. <laughs> he even wears a little hat, too. It's perfect. There was a dame came to my office to talk about a little picnic biscuit gone missing. <laughs> yeah, this does kind of work if you think about it. <laughs> stupidest, stupidest thing I've ever done. All right. No, it's pretty funny. <laughs> no, it's pretty funny. That is up there with Zebra Man and, and just dumbest things I've said on this podcast. What is Zebra Man? I don't remember. I, when we were talking to, I think it was about Spider Man and like the villains, and I was like, oh, hey guys, yes. get this. <laughs> what if he got bit by a zebra? <laughs> Someone, I don't right, know. It was something Zebra-Man. stupid like that. So he's like fast and like black and white? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what do you want? Cut me my check. Look, it's 4.55. We're out here at 5. I don't know. You're getting what you're getting. Sunset Boulevard is. An absolutely incredible little picture. Yeah, some would say it's one of the best Hollywood films of all time. Yeah, I, I think I think they might be. And you know why? I because mean, because it shows the ugly side of Hollywood. Shows the ugly side of Hollywood. Yeah, you know what it shows you? It shows you that if you're not some blonde little bombshell, they fucking bounce your ass out at that time. <laughs> uh, it shows you Holly weird. Am I right? Yeah, it does. And let me tell you something, my friend. And this is going to be a pretty unpopular opinion. I wish we could go back to it. <laughs> Look, I've been playing the sexist character all episode. I really felt like that yeah. was gonna be the one that I was gonna. Yeah, all right. With. All right. Norma should be entombed in that house along with her. All daughter. right. Pump the pump the fucking brakes. 
Cut the fucking. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, and this is how I'm going to get him, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. So, you're saying you are pro murder? You're saying you're on board with this murder? <laughs> Let's start there. The, the movie starts you by telling that the that the main character is dead in the in the fucking pool. I mean, you're listening to the main character talk to you as he's dead. So you're like, and that was great. Like she had never. She fucking loved this. Oh yeah, yeah. She fucking it, loved it. She turned to me. She goes, "I think I'm Norma," and I said, "That's not a good thing." I said, "Like, that's I said, bad. Like, that's not a." I was like, oh, okay, you don't know relate. that yet, but that's not good." She goes, "She goes, no, no, just the costumes." I was like, "Okay, fair. You can be Norma if you want." Okay. This movie has a very similar structure to Double Indemnity. It does. Which is the movie we talked about, which you know that the character is not in a good spot at the beginning of the movie. However, unlike Double Indemnity, where it's set up, it's predetermined. This is more by chance. Mm-hmm. This is more by chance, and this is more about what's the word I'm looking for here? Dumb luck. Yeah, I guess I guess this is more by we're no no the yeah this is more no it is chance. I'm sorry. The first one is the first one is set up like it's it's gonna happen no matter what because he has to go to that house to look at the insurance policy. This one is just by chance because he's being chased. Joe Gillis owes money like for his car, and like they're gonna come repo, and he's like, I'm gonna go on the run, and like they're gonna chase me. He gets away and he parks in a garage. I guess you could just do that in the 50s. You could just park in people's garages and nobody cared. <laughs> yeah, you know. This is 50s. It was a more open time. Like, people were a little nicer to each other, it feels like. No, it wasn't. <laughs> ben, really? That's retrospect, yeah. That's boomer propaganda. I did my best. <laughs> I don't know what else you want from me. <laughs> We ask the question of Joe Gillis is now like in this place and he comes in and he goes to the door and like like knocks in like, hey, I got like a flat. Can like I change it like which he's just trying to buy time so he can kind of like get away from there. And the door is answered by this fucking butler who's played by Eric von Stroheim, which, by the way, dude, you want to talk about the dude who is like the fucking like just winner of like I come in and I know exactly what to do every single time I'm on camera. It's this dude. Do you know he was a director? Yes, I do. Actually, that's why yeah. that makes that so funny. Yeah, he actually directed a movie with Gloria Swanson in back in the silent era. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway, interesting little fun fact. There's a there's a history there. They're both Hollywood castouts. And he says to him, "You're expected, sir, upstairs." And he goes up there and. There is this woman, and she is crying over the body of a dead monkey. And you, you say to yourself, oh, now I see why David Lynch likes this movie. Interesting. <laughs> what a way to start. What a way to start a movie. You're either in or you're out right now, it feels like. I like legitimately think that seeing the monkey, you're like, okay, well, that's weird. So what's all this about? So you find out that this is Norma Desmond, and he recognizes her eventually, and she used to be huge in the silent era. And, like, he kind of, like, and the movie's narrated from his perspective, not on, like, Ace in the Hole is narrated, not on, like, Double Indemnity is narrated from these guys' perspective. But, like, he realized, and she has, like, this big script that she thinks is going to be her comeback. Norma, Norma has not realized, and it's no, it's no fault of Norma's, this is Hollywood's fault, that her time has passed because Hollywood essentially gets to tell you when your time has passed at that mm -hmm. point. This wasn't mm -hmm. a time where like, if, if you weren't like, they weren't making movies like where it's like Kate Winslet's going to play a woman 
who's like 40 pounds overweight and is like a mom with like leukemia. They're not doing movies like that at the time. It's like, you're fun and you're a bombshell and you're going to dance and you're going to show them gams and them teeth. Like that's that's mm-hmm. what you were doing as a woman in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. when you aged out, you were pushed off to the side. And it's fucked up. It really is. But Norma doesn't think that way because Norma was so good at what she did when she did it. She kind of thinks that she can get it back. That's kind of what happened to Gloria Swanson who was like a really big star in the silent era and was an important figure. She was very, very popular. And then just kind of like her sequence, like had a string of bombs in the early thirties and was just kind of ushered away. The thing was with, with her, with Gloria Swanson, much, I think like Norma is she married like a socialite. So she was kind of like the socialite figure. For a period of time kind of moved into being famous for being famous kind of i mean interesting yeah she you know had her money and she was kind of like you know she's essentially you can read a bunch of interviews if you go on a wikipedia page she was pretty well off but norma desmond instead has just been like isolated away from the rest of the world in her her house which is kind of how like a lot of hollywood stars of the early years did end up is just like these in these derelict mansions or in these like like one bedroom apartments, just kind of alone, and no one really remembered them. It's, it's it, crazy. It is, it is weirdly like kind of sad that this machinery just had people who were like these huge stars celebrated, and then just one day they were just like, "Yeah, you over here now." Holden kind of gets the idea in mind because she shows him the script and she goes, "It's going to bring me back to the top." He says you'd have to get it edited like or written out because it's mostly like just ideas. And he kind of scams his way into a job like a William Holden might be if we're doing only Billy Wilder shit heels like uh, he might be the number one. Yeah, I think he's definitely up there. She kind of almost like seduces him into like being on her side too. kind of. I think it's like one of those things where it's like this is where I think. He kind of looks at her like she's an easy mark and will just kind of pay him to put around the house and do nothing. He thinks that he can probably get out from underneath this at some point, just kind of like disappear into the night. But the more invested he becomes, the more he realizes that like getting away from Norma is not going to be as easy as he thinks. And she does use a lot of like psychological pressure and manipulation to kind of keep him around. It's interesting. They're, they're, they have, like, this really, like, toxic and abusive back and forth. I mean, well, it's because she's the money, and he's, like, he's the object. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it is. I mean, I'll say this. Say this for Norma. Like, if, if I could go back in time, like, let's pretend this was a real event. If I could go back in time, I would go to Norma, and I would say, the money you are wasting, because I've seen the way you throw it around, you obviously have a decent amount of money. You could produce that movie yourself, and have someone else star in it and be like, look, Norma, sorry, you, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Like, like you could, I mean, that's the only problem is you can never convince her of that part. Also, not to be this guy, but that movie sounds fucking bad. Oh, it's not good. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that part. We like, know it's bad. Like, that movie sounds not good. Oh, we know it doesn't sound good. So he kind of like gets stuck doing this. And at the same time, like the last thing you saw before he kind of disappeared into this world, he tried to go get some work for this baseball movie that he was writing. And he kind of gets told by one of the people who read the bo- thing from his agent that it's not very good. He kind of re-meets up with this girl and 
by the way, I love the rela- I love the way they set up that relationship because you do kind of want them to work out in some ways. Kind of, yeah. Even though I feel like you understand that it's not going to work out as like a relationship. It's going to work out as kind of like a professional relationship. More so, you know what I mean? Personally, how I read it is you're getting it from William Holman's perspective. From Joe, whatever. Mm, Joe's Joe case or whatever. And I think he is reading into her wanting to be around him. But in reality, I think she wants to be around him because he is a professional writer and she wants to become a writer. Oh, I think um, that is very much part of it. Dude, they do kiss, though. I mean... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's I true. mean, Bloom's I, off I, the rose when she sees where he's living, to be fair. I do... Yeah, I do think... I don't know. I think there's a little bit of spin coming from William That's Holden fair. I mean, it's true. You are you are looking at it from one person's perspective. Nancy Olsen is fantastic in this movie. As, oh, she's great. As yeah. uh, Miss Schaefer. The nose job and like... Oh, so good. Devastating. Well, and right there, right there is, right there is the whole movie in a nutshell. Like, she, you don't even hear it from Gloria Swanson's character because Gloria Swanson's character couldn't possibly accept that it was somebody else. Like mm-hmm. Gloria Swanson's character is like, no, no, like it, it won't happen to me. Yeah. I'm Gloria Swanson. I'm Norma Desmond. Like my name's was in lights, you know? Yeah. And she keeps like waiting to hear back from her longtime filmmaking collaborator, Mr. DeMille, who was a real, who was a real filmmaker at the time. Yeah, Cecil B. DeMille, very important filmmaker of his era, probably would be considered the, like, Spielberg of his time. Mm, That's fair. He's a big deal. You know, he would make, like, fucking... Does he make King of Kings? He makes Ten Commandments. I know he makes Ten Commandments. He wins the best picture for The Greatest Show on Earth in 1960? But his career dates far back into the silent era. He plays himself in this film, which is really interesting. It's kind of not rare to see Cecil B. DeMille because he fucking opens the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Like, he's in front of the screen a couple of times. But it must have been weird to be a movie fan and see, like, a movie set at this time period and see, like, a back lot. I mean, And see, like, how many people work on a movie. Well, and, like, the thing is, too, like, because, yeah, you never really saw that at that point. This was the first movie that kind of took you behind it and said, like, it's all fake. Like, none of it's real. Like, it's all bullshit. Like, the fact that you guys believe in it is what makes it kind of exist because you guys believe the lie. And the lie is not just for the people in the audience, too. The lie is for the people who are there, too. The best scene of this movie, hands down, is where they go to the studio. Mm -hmm. And it's not just because, like, the moment where Norma, like, gets to kind of feel the warm glow of the love of the people again. It's the fact that he got Cecil fucking B. DeMille to be in this fucking movie as yeah. himself. It's amazing. Yeah, Cecil B. shows up and, like, talks to Norma. He's incredible in it, too. He's good. Like, he he's, gets a really good performance out of that dude who's not an actor. He's a director. Like, Well, I think directors can kind of... Oh, I think they know. ...mold a little bit and be a pretty interesting... I think Cronenberg or someone talked about it. It's, like, loving to be on film sets of other directors because you just get to see how they work. And, you know, if, like, you can ask any director to be an actor in a movie and they'll say yes. <laughs> like, because they like, they just like being in front of the camera and not behind it. 
Yeah. That's, that's why Cronenberg ends up in the, was like that fucking terrible John Landis movie. I know what you're saying. Which one? But, you know. Hey. What, fuck you, first of all. John Landis had a run where he was good. Yeah, that run ended in what the mid the early eighties. Look, I'm not I'm not saying it didn't peter out quick, but he had a run where he made like five of the most, like, I'm not no. We'll we'll do this after the podcast. I'm not fucking doing this now. We're gonna stick five to good movies. Come on. Yes, he Trading fucking places. did. This last good movie was what made what, in Welcome to America or whatever the hell the name is. I'm 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 not doing this now. We're gonna continue on with with Sunset Boulevard. I'm not typing John Landis into IMDb right now. Um, was it for Eddie Murphy? John Landis wouldn't be remembered. Thank you. Bullshit. It's he called be remembered American for Werewolf in London. He would be he would be remembered only for manslaughter. That's not true at all. That's not fair. Thank he did you. not do that. And giving us Max Landis is what he what his legacy will be. There's there's your there's your joke. There's your cheap jab at the Landis family. You my dick, John Landis. Next Mount Rushmore, John Landis. Nope. <laughs> Over my dead fucking body. <clears throat> well, then good. Sounds like I need to buy a plane ticket. <laughs> so I'm going to sit on your corpse while I do it. Yeah, they go to the studio, and you get this moment where, like, Norma kind of gets to re-enter the spotlight because everyone's there, and they're like, oh, my God, that's Norma Desmond. I thought she died. <laughs> Shout out to that woman. Oh, it's so true. I thought she died. It's, like, such a fucking funny line. And the movie goes from there, and, like, DeMille is there to talk to her, and DeMille, like, DeMille has the scene before the guy comes up to me and says, he goes, Norman Desmond's here. It must be about that awful script she sent me. <laughs> like, and even he knows it's crap. And, like, everyone knows it's crap. It's just Norma can't see the forest for the trees. Norma's too in love with the idea of, like, I'm going to be back. Like, I can do yeah. it. Norma has all the belief in the world that if they roll those cameras on her, it's going to work. Yeah, she just wants to be a star again. That's the tragedy of Norman Desmond, <laughs> is that she ends up becoming one again. But it's, you know, it's it's truly, like, truly heartbreaking, that finale. It is. And the movie kind of has this B-plot where Joe Gillis is working on this idea that he had for part of a script that Nancy Olsen's character liked. It was a short story of his, right? It was a short story of his, and she liked it. And they're trying to adapt it into something more, and it seems to be going well. And this doesn't sit well with Norma, who finds out about it. Mm -hmm. Norma kind of, like, threatens to, like, kind of end things for her life. And Joe buys into it the first time. But the second time, he's like, no, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. Like, you're going to make your own decisions. And if you watch the first five minutes of this movie, you know how this movie ends. Yeah. He ends up in a... You kind of do forget. Like, remember the first it's time great. I watched it? It's I was a like, great magic Oh, right. <laughs> it's a great magic oh, right. Like, he, once he, he goes shot. down the stairs... It, they, when they do it, actually, it perfectly comes in. Because, like, we were sitting there on the couch. And, like, do, what's her name? Norma says, like, you can't leave me, Joe. I'll take my own life. I'll do it. He goes, Norma, I don't buy it anymore. He goes, he goes, the, he goes the, studio, the studio doesn't want your movie. They wanted to rent your car. And he kind of breaks it to her. And... He, and she says, she goes, Joe, I'll do it. I have a gun. And he goes, he goes, you're going to make your own decisions, Norma. And he walks out of the room with everything that he brought into the place. And she's just kind of sitting there and she goes, nobody leaves the star. The star leaves them. And you're like, oh, wait, she has a gun. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, right. Joe, go faster. Go faster, Joe. Like you, you as an audience member, like, get the fuck out of there, dude. Like, <laughs> you can't help him because you know it's coming. And he yeah. gets out to the front lawn and she's like, no, Joe. And like shoots him three times and he just goes in the pool. Yeah. 
It was great too. The other time they remember, they remind you, it was like halfway through, like the movie, the pool, he's swimming in the pool and she goes, Oh, that's that pool. And I was like, yeah, it's back. (laughs) The last of that pool. What an ominous pool. (laughs) It's a great pool. It actually is a great great pool. pool. It's a great pool. I want to go into that house. I want to hang out in that house. That house seems very nice, you know? That's huge. And the last scene of it is her kind of like upstairs in front of her mirror, putting on her makeup. Yep. And like the cameras from the news department are there to capture this because it's a pretty big deal. Like a star of yesteryear has killed somebody. Mm -hmm. And because, I mean, let's be honest, the only way to be famous after that time is to do something horrendous. Like if it bleeds, it leads. And Norma says the cameras are here. And Max, the faithful butler who, like, we find out by, I love the scene where he reveals to him and says, like, I made some of her early movies. Like, I made her a star. He said there were three of us. It was DeMille, Griffith, and me. That's actually very true. Because, like, Stronheim was considered the, like, heir apparent to Griffin. Oh, was Stronheim? So Stromheim was actually, like, a contender. He made an eight-hour movie called Greed, which was, by critics, hailed as one of the best movies of all time. I've seen that in my top two fifty or my top 500 movies to see before you die. And then they that cut the movie to hours? 400. <laughs> they cut that movie down to four hours. That's the only print that exists is the four-hour restored cut. And then he made a couple other movies that are also highly regarded. And he was, he was like, the, the, people were like, this guy is going to be the guy. And then he, he made a couple bombs and just couldn't get work anymore. Because he made, he always <laughs> brought movies in, like, fucking $100,000 over a budget. That's fair. <laughs> Which is crazy to think that's nothing now. I mean, $100,000 over a budget back then was probably, like, a million dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my point. So. That dude would have loved working in the Marvel system. They're like, we just throw money at problems. He's like, excellent. What I think is so heartbreaking about this is he is, like, there, about to tear up, and he directs the cameras. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. He, he does, like, lights, you know, yeah. sound, you know. He well, does it's his last moment stuff. too. It's over it's for him too. So fucking oh, it's so bleak. It's a it's a bummer of an ending. And she and she says, "Am I ready?" And she goes, "I'm ready for my close up, Mister Demille." And she comes down the stairs, and she just comes at the camera like it's she, an amazing finish. She flubs her line, and then is basically like, "Oh, like does like this the speech an actor would give on like the first day of shooting, which is like, I'm glad we're all here. We're gonna make a wonderful picture." And then does the I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. I find that truly to be one of the most heartbreaking endings in a movie I've ever seen. Well, not just that. She also, like, the way she comes at it almost feels like she's coming at the audience. Like, it is truly one of the scariest moments. It's one of those things where she is looking back at the audience. It's as if it's the, the typical, like, oh, she's, like, kind of judging the audience for allowing this behavior to exist. You know, allowing people mm-hmm. to be written off like this. I think it's a condemnation of celebrity culture. The whole movie is a condemnation of celebrity culture. Oh, absolutely. It's good. It's a good movie. <laughs> oh, it's oh, it's really well done. It's it's an incredible movie. I mean, it's so incredible that it nabbed like several nominations for like fucking Oscars. Yeah, as a genre picture. It's pretty incredible. Like the thing for the fifties. That's pretty wild, yeah. Yeah, and it won a couple of Oscars too. And I think we're gonna talk about 23rd Academy Awards. You're going to have to go all the way to the bottom. All the way to the bottom? Oh, Oh, well, I know. I just saw what won, and I kind of can't argue with it. (laughs) So. What's that? uh, The winner of Best Picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can't argue with that. All the way to the bottom, eh? Yep. 
First, uh, the first award is Best Film Editing. And the nominees were The Third Man, Sunset Boulevard, Annie Get Your Gun, All About Eve, and King Solomon's Mine, which would win. I don't know King I've, Solomon's Mine. I've heard of four of these. The one I haven't heard is uh, King Solomon's Mine. Yeah, I know. I've heard of four of them, too, actually. And you're, it's the same. <laughs> and I'll say this. The Third Man Lost? King Solomon's Mine better be the best fucking edited movie of all time. Just probably more typical Hollywood shit. Yeah, probably. Well, that uh, takes us on to cinematography, black and white. You know what? Can't argue with this Damn. One. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Look at that stacked list. I only know, I only don't know one of these. And I think I know which one you're talking about. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is a wonderful film. Really? Yes. First up, you have All About Eve, Lens by Milton Krasner. The Asphalt Jungle, Lens by Harold Ronson. The Furies, Lens by Victor Milner. Sunset Boulevard, Lens by John F. Sensed. And your winner, The Third Man, Robert Craxter. Best Cinematography, Black and White. After this, we have Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Black and White. And the nominees would be The Red Danube, All About Eve, and the winner, Sunset Boulevard. Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. All About Eve, Alfred Newman. The Flame and the Arrow, Max Steiner. No sad songs for me, George Dunning. Samson and Delilah, I have heard of that movie. Victor Young. Winner, Sunset Boulevard, Franz Waxman. What a great name, holy shit. Yeah, Franz Waxman. You put it to wax for Franz Waxman. <laughs> I see him as being five foot tall, but having just two large-breasted six-foot blondes with him. I will you pay say Fred that I... Maxman once when he leaves and once when he comes in. <laughs> I think the movie that you did not know in that one that we were talking about is The Furies. I've never heard of The Furies, no. It's a very good movie. Very oh. good Western. Anthony Mann. Oh, I mean, you've sold me on Anthony Mann alone. Stars Barbara Stanwyck, Walter Hudson in his final performance. Well, that takes us to Best Story and Screenplay. No Way Out, written by Joseph L. Mankiewicz and Lesser... Lesser Samuels. I, I'm sorry. Joseph L. Mankiewicz was nominated in two categories. Yeah. Holy shit. No, yeah, it's also fucking good. Fincher's next movie, he's just going to tell the story about how he made All About Eve. That's the next movie. Really? Yeah, he's going to do a trilogy. God damn it. That's, that's, not, that's not true. Mank didn't write All About Eve. It says it right here he did. Different Mank. What? No, they both say Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Isn't no Joseph L. Mankiewicz? Is oh, the that's director. right, Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Oh, that's right. And still, that's it would his be brother. Funny. Still, it would be funny though. Albert but Gary Mankiewicz? Oldman's also going to play the brother. God, God damn it! Uh, the Men by Carl Foreman, Caged by Virginia Kellogg and Bernard C. Schoenfeld, Adam's Rib by Ruth Gordon and Garrison Kane, and Sunset Boulevard is the winner by Charles Brackett, Billy Wilder, and D. M. Marshman Jr. Oh, Charles Brackett worked on this piece. Yeah. Oh, Charles Brackett. That's Best. all I got. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> Best Supporting Actress. Hope Emerson, Caged. Celeste Holm, All About Eve. Nancy Olsen, Sunset Boulevard. Thelma Ritter, All About Eve. And your winner, Josephine Hall and Harvey. What is Harvey? I've never heard Harvey. of Harvey. You don't know Harvey? Harvey's about the Harvey. giant invisible rabbit. 
you're fucking with me. What? No, no, no. There's there is a movie where Jimmy Stewart plays a guy who believes he has a best friend who is a six foot tall invisible rabbit, and it's fucking charming as all get out. Okay, all right, all right. I'll throw it. I have currently one, two, three, four, five movies from this Academy Awards. Just open to see if I can find them and watch them. Do me a so. favor, send me that list when you do, and I want to see if if they're the ones I'm looking at, too. You find out at the end he's a child arsonist. So that's the real twist of that movie. <laughs> no, Could you, you imagine? Jimmy Story's like, no, I like to light don't. children on fire. No, you don't. Get out of here. Um, the fact that she's nominated is pretty impressive, but she does give a hell of a performance, Nancy Olsen. Never seen Harvey. I literally haven't heard of it until this moment. So I cannot say whether or not Josephine Hall should win or not. That's fair. This does definitely feel like it's an honor to be nominated more than uh, you're going to win. Next up, we have Best Supporting Actor. And the nominees were Eric Von Stroheim for Sunset Boulevard, Sam Jaffe for The Asphalt Jungle, Edmund Gwen for Mr. 880, Jeff Chandler for Broken Arrow, and George Sanders would win for All About Eve. All About Eve pretty much just winning everything. Here's the deal. All About Eve, good movie. It is a good movie. One day we'll get to it. We'll, we'll, we'll do it okay. Looking at my copy I currently have on the show. There you go. Well, next up, we have Best Actress. Anne Baxter, All About Eve. Betty Davis, splitting the All About Eve vote. Elena Parker, Caged. Gloria Swanson, Sunset Boulevard. And your winner, Judy Holiday for Born Yesterday. This is another one where I've heard of three of the five performances, and I know two... I know three of those five are pretty strong. So whatever Judy Holiday is for Born Yesterday better be fucking incredible. Judy Holiday's great. If you fucking try and take this away from her, I swear. I'm not trying to take anything away from Judy I Holiday. Fly down there and fucking beat your ass. First of all, first of all, in what way do I have the ability to take it away from her? I'm not the president of the academy. <laughs> so in in what way could you possibly could I possibly do this? Even if and like and you know what you know what? I'm just you know what? I'm feeling good today. I'm going to say this, to quote Gene Hackman, there's nothing you could really do about it, is there? No, no, not really. I mean, it just reminds me of that time when you were talking about Best Director. You're like, you could throw... You could, <laughs> oh, yeah, you could throw Truffaut off the plane. I'm like, no, you fucking can't. <laughs> you get back here. <laughs> for Best Actor, you have Spencer Tracy for Father of the Bride, James Stewart for Harvey, William Holden for Sunset Boulevard, Louise Carolyn for The Magnificent Yankee, and you have Jose Ferreira for Cyrano de Bergerac as your winner. I don't know what Cyrano de Bergerac is, but William Holden's really good in this movie. James Stewart is pretty incredible in Harvey, so that's got to be a decent performance. I've heard the name Cyrano de Bergerac. Why do yeah. I know that? Like, I've heard that name before. Uh, Cyrano de Bergerac's heard... about the guy with the nose. It's, it's a famous story. It's a, well, it's a dude... You you know it because what's his name? Uh, um, Gerard Depardieu was nominated for the same role, I think. Sereno de Bergerac. Sereno de Bergerac. Anyway, the movie's in the public domain, so I, you can just watch it if you want. Well, there it's you go. There. What about it's best... on Wikipedia? <laughs> what, about, what about best director? Sorry, I got hung up on Sereno de Bergerac. The best director, John Hudson, Asphalt Jungle, George Kakor, Born Yesterday, Billy Wilder, Sunset Boulevard, Kill Reed, The Third Man, and your winner, Joseph L. Minkowitz for All About Eve. I don't know Born Yesterday, but the other four are pretty fucking iconic. Yeah, you know who George Kakor is, right? 
Yeah, he did. He did that song, Cuckoo or Barra sitting in the old gum tree. Isn't that him? Okay, here, let me go through what he directed. So he directed What Price Hollywood, which would become later adapted into A Star Is Born. He also did the 1954 version of A Star Is Born. He did Adam's Rib, which is also in the Best Picture running, not Best Picture running, but was also up for uh, Academy Awards. Gaslight. Oh, I'm uh, looking at his filmography. Yeah, this dude did a lot. He won Best Director for My Fair Lady in 1964. Oh, he beat out Kubrick? Fuck him. No, no. My th- Fair no. Lady's great. You can no, fuck with No, no, off. George, it's fine. It's fine, but it's not Dr. Strangelove. Sorry. Uh, I've yeah, got a poster right. in front it's, of me that has, like, that has no, no, you're out of your fuck. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I will fly up there tonight and beat I your will, ass and think nothing of it. Say it. I will say Mm-mm. it again. It's better than Doctor Strange. No, it's not. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, yeah. no movie changed the way I looked at film the way Doctor Strange loved it. Mm-mm. No movie Mm-mm. changed the way I look at mu- uh, movie musicals the way My Fair Lady did. Mm-mm. 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 We can have this fight. I, ben, no, I'm not doing it now it. because this is going to be a perfect, a perfect double feature. <laughs> it's called You're Wrong. <laughs> he also did one of my favorite movies, old-timey movies from 1938, Holiday. Starring Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Oh, I do know Holiday. That's a charming movie. Holiday is cute. Well, that takes it. Don't worry about. Don't worry about George Kakor. He he doesn't factor into this because his movie was not nominated for picture. But the people who were nominated for picture were Sunset. His movie was nominated for picture. Oh, Born Yesterday. You're right. I'm sorry. Well, George Kakor does factor into our next film or next category because his movie was up for picture, and it was Born Yesterday. Father of the Bride, King Solomon's Mine. That must, movie must have made a fuck ton of money. You notice it got no other nominations? It got another nomination in... Well, down below it did, but I'm saying, like, nothing... I thought it got, like, a... I thought it got an acting nomination somewhere, but, yeah, you know, you're right. What is uh, this? Sorry. No, you're good. Um, Sunset Boulevard, and, of course, your winner, All About Eve. I mean, how do you argue with it? I mean, yeah, All About Eve, pretty good movie. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Hey, guys. All About Eve, pretty good movie. I don't know if yeah. you've heard about All About Eve. It's <laughs> hear about All About Eve. But, I mean, that leads us to the question, that leads us to ask the question of, if you were getting in an elevator with someone and you had to pitch them on a 30-second ride to watch this movie, how would you do it? Grab them by the collar and yell, it's Sunset Boulevard. I don't, what do you want from me? It's Sunset Boulevard. It's great. Yeah, that's well, very, very best true. Best movie of all time. Yeah, that's very, very true. What would you pair this with? I would pair it with... The Stronheim directed, I think it's Queen Kelly, which is the movie that you see playing in the background of one of the scenes. Oh, nice. It was a silent film produced in late 20s and was not shown in America until 1932. It was a scandalous film at the time it was released and is a public domain. So I think it would pair really well with as like a after show or a before show it's kind of like hey here's gloria swanson and stronheim kind of because he i don't think he acts in it but like them working together interesting all right i like that and i mean five yeah yeah i I mean it's five stars i mean why wouldn't it be it's one of the most like interesting i'm serious like you could put this movie on for anyone if you don't like this movie i don't think you like movies like that's that's weird that's weird to say but like this yeah. this is an engaging film. Like even, this is this is like, perfection from start to finish. Even Naomi, who came out like halfway through the movie, was like, "Oh, okay," and like just kind of like sat down and just like watched it. Yeah, like, right. If you but, can, like, it just, can kind of just, almost catch you at almost any moment. Yeah, it's just it's just good. It's just a good movie. Uh, well, it's just a good. 
Oh, God. You ever notice, like, when you go back into color from the 1951 section, it kind of hurts? It kind of burns, right? Yeah, right? Like, yeah. like almost like the color is what's burning you. Yeah, it's like getting tattooed, kind of, but, like, all over your body. Yeah, that is actually what it feels like. Well, after that experience, once again, I need something uplifting. Uplifting films. And yes. Yeah, gotcha. you gave me this, and I decided since it's Pride Month, we're going to look at two uplifting queer films. We're going to watch Milk? Uplifting queer films, but then the first one is we're going to go to England in the 1980s and watch a movie about a, which stars a guy that we've talked a lot about uh, a week or so ago, Daniel Day-Lewis. We're going to look at a little movie, I think it's directed by Stephen Fears, My Beautiful Laundronette. Okay, I don't know this movie, but Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm in. Yeah, and Stephen Fears. You know Stephen Fears. I do. I love Stephen Fears. Yeah, good director. And if that movie doesn't lift you up, we're going to follow it up with the fantastic, wonderful, and utterly charming Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, from Julie Newmar. Someone recently mentioned this movie. God, we were at work, and Marty and I were talking about something, and I can't remember what it was, but oh, I, I mentioned something involving... A movie like with a similar title to that. Oh, I said Chungking Express. And he goes, he goes, you're just being racist. I said, no, that's literally the name of a movie. Yeah. And he goes, I th- he goes, I think you're thinking of Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julia Newmar. I said, no, Marty, that's not the movie I'm thinking of. No, Marty. Yeah. Tu <laughs> yeah. Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julia. Okay. So next week we have. From 1985, the comedy drama from Stephen Furs. Um, My Beautiful Laundronette. And from a decade later, from 1995, we have the road comedy film directed by Bidan Kidorn, the British filmmaker. Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. My Beautiful Laundronette and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Two movies that I have not seen. I've seen parts of the second one, but I don't remember it as a whole. And, man, I'm excited to see that movie. I hear that is like a top five Leguizamo performance, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, it might be a little dated because it is Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo playing drag queens. But from everything I've heard, is it's just a fucking delight. That's what I've heard, too. Well, cool. Two uplifting movies for Pride Month. I'm stoked on it. And guys, you can, of course, follow all of our antics at TWGTFpod on both Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at ET Critic and at Movie Loving Lucha on Twitter and instagram respectively tyler is there anywhere they can follow you follow me into a watery grave i'm going swimming oh look he has little bathing shorts on and everything yeah can't swim don't know why i would do that but whatever you can't swim can't swim really man i grew up in a desert when am i gonna learn how to swim i learned to swim when i grew up in a desert well fucking rub it in then yeah i mean do you want to do you want to like learn i could teach you no that's fine Nah, come on. Let me throw you in a pool. People have tried to teach me, and I, it does not go well. That's fair. <laughs> no! No! It's just... I would rather drown! <laughs> and for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I have, of course, been your host, Ben. And I'm Norma Desmond. And remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way near that store, and you see a woman who's following a guy down some steps with a gun, you know what? You already know what's going to happen, so nothing you can do to prevent it. We didn't need dialogue. We had faces talking 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 talking